Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The FT. Welcome to this edition of World Weekly. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today we look at the struggle against the jihadists known as Islamic State or ISIL. The jihadists have continued to create headlines with horrifying recent actions, such as the beheading of up to 21 Coptic Christians in Libya and the burning alive of a captured Jordanian pilot. But despite such horrors, is ISIL actually on the wane? Joining me on the line from Baghdad to discuss that question is our correspondent, Borju Daragahi, and on the line from Beirut is our regional commentator, David Gardner. Borju, what's your sense? You're in Baghdad now, which is where I guess I saw first grab the headlines when they captured uh, Mosul in Iraq. Are they on the defensive or are they still expanding? Well, you have a stalemate situation in large parts of Syria and Iraq where ISIS, for example, is not really expanding dramatically anymore. It's not taking new territory, but it does seem to be consolidating its hold over certain areas in both Syria and Iraq. It is deepening its roots in places like Mosul and in Raqqa in Syria and in Iraq's Anbar province. These are largely Sunni areas that feel very much alienated by the two governments in Baghdad and Damascus. This is fertile ground for ISIS. On the other hand, in areas that are traditionally under the hold of Kurds or Shia, they're not doing well. Aided by U.S. airstrikes, ISIS has been pushed back from not only Kobani, the Kurdish city in Syria that was very much in the news in recent weeks, but also in parts of Nineveh province in northern Iraq, in parts of Salahuddin province. These are places where there's a little bit of back and forth, but it does appear that it's losing. The shock to some people, not to those of us who've been following Libya, was this debut of ISIS or ISIL or the Islamic State in Libya. They've been developing their networks there. They've been holding parades there, showing their colors. The distinctive black flag of ISIL appeared in Libya as early as September 2014. And this recent horrific uh, beheading of Christians in the city of Sirte, which, by the way, is uh, Muammar Gaddafi's hometown. This was really a message to the world that we're here in Libya, we have a beachhead in North Africa, and we're not going to be stopped so easily. Now, David, these kinds of horrific occurrences, such as the beheading of Christians, are very hard to understand. But what do you think is the underlying logic, if there is one, of what uh, ISIL are up to? Do they have a strategy? Yes, I think they do. And, you know, they may have twisted minds, but that doesn't mean that they are mindless. An epithet usually bandied around, but a fairly thoughtless one, if you're trying to frame some sort of policy response. I mean, I think these people, unfortunately, they're savage and sophisticated. They're chilling and chillingly smart. It's already clear that they've been trying to open up fissures and fault lines in Lebanon, 
in Turkey, in Jordan, even in Saudi Arabia, somewhat fragile states bordering their self-declared caliphate in the failed states of Syria and Iraq. We've seen, as Borda was pointing out, that they're trying to expand to tell the world that we're here in Libya. In the Sinai Peninsula, the local jihadi organization has declared itself the Sinai province of the Islamic State. But apart from needing, as a would-be caliphate, to consolidate and expand, it seems to me what they're also trying to do is to lure by calculated provocation like these bestial acts, the people that they call the crusaders, the infidels, the apostates, the idolaters, and so on, to lure these forces into their lair. And the point is that the base has been taken often enough for that to be a reasonably plausible strategy. There isn't too much mystery about this. It was all written down at the time of 9-11 by Ayman Sawakiri, then the chief strategist of Al-Qaeda, now it's somewhat ineffectual leader. He spelt it out as indeed Osama bin Laden had before him. But it's very simple. If the Americans are adequately provoked, they will almost certainly respond with large-scale reprisals and, quote, personally wage the battle against the Muslims and thereby seeding the ground for, quote, a clear-cut jihad against the infidels. Now, these people are doing the same thing. It's really as straightforward as, you know, Newton's third law of motion. I mean, Bin Laden actually said it in 98. Every action elicits a similar reaction. What they are looking for by these absolutely gruesome spectacles, is an overreaction. And Egyptian airstrikes on their Libyan followers, I suspect, doesn't really cut it. They will want something a good deal more than that, something with much more incendiary propaganda value to radicalize Muslims in the region, which, of course, the Egyptian leadership has been doing a reasonably good job at since the 2013 coup. But Bourjou, you're in Iraq where actually there is Western military action of the sort that David implies or suggests that ISIL actually want. You've got the American and Allied bombing raids. And I gather you were quite close to the front this week, just outside Baghdad. Can you describe what was going on there? I think there's something I would like to add. I think it's very important to add to what David was saying, which was very good analysis. Um, In addition to this attempt at provocation, I think these movies that they're making, these slick jihadi snuff films with the, the high production values and the contemporary horror movie aesthetics, these are recruitment ads. These are attempts to draw a certain type of disaffected individual into their ranks. One of the most interesting and fascinating aspects of ISIS is that it is a rather violent reaction against the mainstream of the Arab world, against the mainstream of the Muslim world, whether in Cairo or Egypt or the suburbs of Paris. These guys have a sort of punk rock aspect to them. And by having some guy wearing a ski mask, waving a knife or a gun around, they are trying to get disaffected young men and even women um, in Muslim parts of the world to come to them, to get those kinds of sick individuals, damaged individuals, alienated people, maladjusted people to come to them because these are their recruits. 
and these are their main fighters, these are their suicide bombers, these are their rank and file, not necessarily the leadership, which includes former Iraqi army officers and people with like serious military experience, people with serious administrative experience as well. In terms of what's happening right now, for example, in the, these sort of frontline areas, the militia people that I spoke with today along the front line, 35 kilometers west of Baghdad, they were able to take back certain territories because they were helped by the American and they said French airstrikes in recent months. The airstrikes would come, hit ISIS positions. These guys would move in and take control of these areas. They've now solidified their control over these contested areas to the west of Baghdad and actually have set up a front line. They've actually brought in earth movers and bulldozers and set up a front line across this sort of uh, canal infrastructure. We went to an uh, area that was literally 200 meters away from ISIS positions. These guys sitting in little nests atop buildings, keeping a very wary close eye on the guys on the other side. So it's very much a kind of World War I situation, actually. Without that air support, without constant and increasing air support, uh, these guys said they're not able to take new territory. Okay, now David, zooming back out from the sort of fascinating picture of what's going on on the ground in Iraq, Borgia describes it as a kind of stalemate, but of course a lot of damage has already been done. We spoke earlier about the beheading of the Coptic Christians, and is there a danger that Christian communities right across the Middle East are now going to be so terrorised that their future is actually in doubt? Oh yes. Unfortunately, this movie didn't actually begin here. It began after the 2003 invasion of Iraq, which ignited, as we know, the sectarian carnage between Sunni and Shia, and Christians were sort of ground between those two stones. There were, before the invasion, something of the order of 1.4 million Christians in Iraq. There are now, by most estimates, considerably less than a third of that number. The same thing has been happening in Syria with the same dynamics. And then into this vacuum comes the vacuum left by these two failed states, erupts ISIS with a declared policy of ethno-sectarian genocide, not directed solely against Christians. Indeed, there are some reports that because Christians are, in the Islamic tradition, people of the book, that provided they accept their position as subordinate and don't present any threat directly, they may be spared Often it's actually Muslims who don't accept the leadership of Daesh of ISIS, who are first in line for their barbaric executions. Obviously the Shia, whom they abominate as idolaters, they are to be eradicated completely. But there's a complex hierarchy of infidelism in their twisted theology. Certainly Christians are at risk. Christians, I think, are at risk throughout the Middle East. There is not the emptying that we saw in Iraq or the strings out of Syria in other places, but there is the push and also a pull factor because it's Christians who are most likely to get asylum and emigration papers and so on in the West. There is a definite and very sinister threat 
because it would completely change the character of this region, which, after all, is where Christianity, as well as Judaism and Islam, were born. Okay, well, I won't end it just there. Let me just ask you both briefly to give us a sense of how you think this is going to evolve. We've heard about the damage, the failed states, but also kind of military stalemate. Borshu, if you had to guess, what will we be saying about ISIL in two years' time? Um, Do you think it's going to get worse before it gets better? I don't think it'll get that much worse in Iraq and Syria. It might get a whole heck of a lot worse in North Africa because Libya is a very, very large country with a lot of empty spaces, not very urbanized. There's a lot of room there for a determined terrorist organization to take root and carve out training and other kinds of operations there, as well as it becomes an amazing base to launch operations against more populated areas of North Africa, i.e. Tunisia, Algeria, and Egypt. And as all three of us know, Al-Qaeda and other extremists have been thirsting for a base in North Africa for 20 or more years. And this is their grand opportunity to gain a jihadi foothold in North Africa. Here in Iraq and Syria, I think things are going to actually get better, you know, especially in Iraq. Iraq has one thing that none of these other places have. Iraq has an actual government with a popular mandate. It's not Syria where you have a dictator who is rooted in only 10% of the population. You have a rather lively civil society here. You have people who have a stake in the system and have a stake in Iraq, and they will fight for their country, if not for their corrupt, dysfunctional government. You have a 60% Shia population and a 20% Kurdish population that does not want to live under ISIS rule. And so I see a much rosier picture here in Iraq. Iraq has oil, it has energy and resources, and right now, for example, ISIS has a firm control over Mosul, but that could change very fast, and there could come some sort of breaking point where the misery of the people in Mosul colludes with uh, military operations and leads to some kind of breakthrough. Okay, David, uh, last thought from you. Uh, You suggested earlier on that ISIL's whole strategy is to try to draw the West in, uh, and therefore that that would be a mistake. And yet, what does one do about that potential portrait that Borja just painted of Libya as the ultimate haven that they've been looking for all along. What you do about a situation as far gone as Libya, about which Borja knows a great deal more than I do, is extremely difficult. But I think the general principle to be followed in most of these situations, particularly given the last 15 to 20 years of intervention by the West in the Middle East, didn't go altogether well, is the need to empower local forces and to find also not just military but political formulas which help do that and which bring to the fore something which is almost totally absent now throughout the region, which is mainstream Sunni leaders. Okay, that's David Gardner in Beirut. We were also joined by Borja Daragahi on the line from Baghdad. Thank you to both of you. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.